Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I've been um, praying for and looking for a decent barbers ever since moving to Mile End and realising how silly it was to spend £35 on a male haircut in Spitalfields. I've tried out Slicks on Roman Road, I've tried out Dave's on Roman Road, I've even been to the village in the village. I've tried them all and even the woman's hairdresser opposite the end of Rhonda Grove. None of them cut my hair quite the way I wanted or cheered me up in the way that I expected. Then Monday of this week, after a coffee on Roman Road with Darius, I walked out and I saw it. A Turkish barber in Old Ford. Well, I popped in, I had a haircut, the full works, coffee, the little thing where they flame your ears, yep, a few smiles from the guys, the towel wrap, the hot towel wrap where they massage your arms, all for 16 quid. Had God answered my prayer? Or had I just opened my eyes and stopped relying on Google? This story that we've just heard about in Luke 12 is about a man who asks Jesus for help and is basically told, mate, you help yourself. And by the way, here is something about money for you and your friends to think about. Let me pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The whole of Luke 12 and part of Luke 13 is a sermon that Jesus gives. It begins at the beginning of chapter 12 like this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, I think that's a big crowd, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. You can imagine the crowd hanging on his every word. He's in the middle of an amazing sermon. Verse 11 goes on like this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to speak. And then verse 13. 
Someone in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. Honestly, recorded in the divine history of the world as the stupid bloke who interrupted Jesus, asking for him to sort out a family problem. The greatest rabbi the world has ever seen. When we get down to verse 20, Jesus uses the word fool in his parable. Was he inferring that this interrupter was a fool? What Jesus does say in verse 14 is, man, who applied me, appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said out to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus basically refuses to help the man. He tells his interrupter to use his own God-given wisdom and then gives some divine wisdom as a challenge to everyone who is listening. Does Jesus answer all our prayers? No. Does God sometimes turn our requests back to us? Yes. Does he sometimes challenge us in the very way that he flips our prayers back to us? You bet he does. And here in Luke 12, we see exactly that at work. Jesus calls out wisdom in his followers and shows them divine wisdom at work. He turns our weaknesses into his opportunities, to quote a famous 1983 Graham Kendrick hymn called Rejoice. And some of you are wallowing in the 80s right now, and others of you are thinking, what on earth is Ryder on about? It's a great line from the hymn. It's a great quote from the Bible. Jesus turns our weaknesses into our opportunities, and it's exactly what he does here. The interrupter has a weakness. He wants the money that he thinks he's owed, that his brother has inherited. But Jesus takes his weakness and turns it into his opportunity to speak about anxiety and greed, the very things that have caused this man to interrupt Jesus. You see, we're all made in God's image, aren't we? We know that. It's one of the things we learn fairly early on in our Christian journey, which means that we're creative, we're relational, we're loving, we're just, and so many other aspects. Except, of course, we're fallen human beings. And many of these qualities are marred within us. And we abdicate responsibility. And we expect other people to be creative. And we don't push into relationships because it's just a little bit hard sometimes. But basically, Jesus is not rising to the challenge here to get involved in this man's minutiae. Have I been given this job today, says Jesus, to judge and to arbitrate between two brothers who are simply quarrelling and are driven by greed and money and anxiety and can't sort out their differences? Use your own God-given minds. Use your own God-given relational skills and get on with your life in your God-given strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I think Luke 12, Jesus urges us to use what we have already been given by God to live life well, to make sound judgments, to use our minds to avoid the earthly traps of greed, anxiety, and selfishness. When Jesus prays for us in John 17, he declares that we are in the world, but not of the world, for we are citizens of heaven. It pains him to see us behave and think like those who don't know him. Let me just repeat that line. It might be the most helpful line in what I've prepared this morning. It pains Jesus to see us behave and think like those who don't know him. 
And of course, as followers of Jesus, we have more wisdom at our disposal than the average earthling. For we have God's written word, and there is much in there about sharing and avoiding greed and quarrels. Scripture gives us so much wisdom. Indeed, much of Western law is based on Judeo-Christian teaching on law and morality. So, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? He is and he offers us divine wisdom, revealing true humanity made in God's image. He calls us to use our God-given wisdom and not to abdicate responsibility. He sends the man back, basically, to grow up and to sort out his stuff with his brother. And he takes this disruptive opportunity to teach about heavenly abundance and earthly greed. John Stott, um, some of you will have heard his name, a great writer throughout the 20th century, um, spoke of the need for Christian believers to be wise and to master the art of double listening. Double listening to the world and to heaven. Typified perhaps best in his own practice of praying with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, bringing the noise of the world to God's word in the presence of God's spirit. It's what we see happening in Luke 12. The noise of the world, the wisdom of God, meeting in the presence of Jesus. And of course, this story is also all about abundance. One man has an abundance of inherited wealth. Another man, in this case his brother, wants it and feels hard done by not having it. It's a reflection of humanity in every age and generation. Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Suppose one of you had a good year, a lottery win, a pension payout, a work bonus, but suppose you already had everything you needed for life and you chose to keep it all to yourself, hoarding it, saving it, keeping it for yourself, and that night you die. Then, says Jesus, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Paul puts it like this, God loves a cheerful giver. You see, the real problem for the rich hoarder is that they never get to see the enjoyment their wealth could bring to others, the relief it could bring to a poor family or to a hungry man. Verse 20 is a reminder that regardless of our wealth or wisdom, death comes to us all, for the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what does Luke 12 tell us about Jesus' followers? These have been my two questions as I've come to gospel passages this summer. What do they tell us about Jesus? What do they tell us about his followers? That's my little approach over the summer. What does it tell us about Jesus' followers? We do not reflect God's glory when we are driven by money. We do not reflect God's glory when we are driven by greed. We do not reflect God's glory when we are driven by anxiety. That is the message of Luke 12. To interrupt the world's greatest preacher and ask him to sort out your brother so he would share his money with you is to miss the point entirely. It's absolutely ironic when the person speaking is granting you heavenly truths and treasures that you don't seem to even comprehend, but you want his help to sort out earthly matters. It's crazy. 
It's greedy, it's blind, it's a money-driven, anxiety-shaping mentality that is displayed in this man. Actually, it's just plain ridiculous. Thousands of people trampling over each other to listen to Jesus, and one bloke thinks he can interrupt the whole proceedings to sort out his own personal finances. It's nuts. Actually, Luke 12 is also an incredible display of God's utter graciousness, because the word does not record the name of this man. Jesus will go on in the rest of Luke 12 to address the endemic anxiety that so many get caught up in, reminding his hearers of God's graciousness towards their needs. Here, though, he wants to face head-on our fiscal failings. Do you like that? Our monetary motivations. Greed and financial greed have no place in the economy of God. Another soundbite, if you want to use it, on your Twitter account today. Greed and financial greed have no place in the economy of God. At a personal level, we lose perspective. This man hates his brother. They both love money more than each other. That is a lost perspective. At a public level, we see the growing disparity in wealth distribution, and it's ugly. I think we would all sign up to that. The church needs to find its prophetic voice, joining Archbishop Welby as he speaks out on financial injustice, voting in those who are really serious about levelling up our society. Aristotle said that nobody... I love Aristotle. I don't, actually, I don't even know him personally. <laughs> but there's just one thing he said that I really love. Aristotle said that no person should earn more than four times their lowest paid employee. That's levelling up, and we've lost it entirely. Let me just go back to that soundbite. Greed and financial greed have no place in the economy of God. I um, work a little bit with a charity, a national charity, employs about 300 staff. And the executive team this year said to the board that they wanted to take the decision off of the board's hand about salary rises. And they gave the biggest percentage rise to the lowest employees and had no percentage rise themselves. That's an attempt. That's a small attempt, but it's an attempt. At a personal level, the Bible sets out a simple personal monetary policy. And I just want to remind you of it. I, I know all of you probably know this, and, but it, it just felt to me as I was reflecting on this passage that God might want me to remind myself of it and anybody else today that wants to. First, we give the first tenth of our income to the Lord, the tithe. Secondly, we give to Caesars what is Caesars, our state tax. Thirdly, we give some of our wealth to the poor. It's called a free will offering in the Old Testament. And finally, from time to time, we make an exceptional one-off thank offering. Carol and I try to do this. We give a tithe of our income to this church. We pay our taxes. We pay some money aside each month into a CAF account so that we've always got something to bless good causes. We always take... I've started in the last few months... You have to be very careful preaching about money because the person who goes home with their heart most ripped apart is your own. And I was preaching about this a little while ago and um, it really challenged me and I now try to carry a few loose coins in my pocket to give to needy people. I've, for years I didn't do that. For years I didn't do that. I gave money to various charities but I didn't do it. But that's another new little thing that I've just started doing because crumbs, if, you, if you've got the courage and the desperation to beg... You probably need something more than I do. 
And then fourthly, from time to time, we like to give a gift to the church or a charity or an individual just to say thank you to God for the abundance of riches he has given us. We're not there yet. We can still be driven by money, greed or anxiety. We're a work in progress. But Jesus tells us clearly to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And heaven is a place of abundance, even for those who on earth face scarcity. Luke 12 is a reflection of someone interrupting a devotional moment with Jesus. It's a bit of a reflection, perhaps, on some of our worst habits when we interrupt our own devotions with Jesus to Google cars or houses or T-shirts that we want to buy. It doesn't reflect the glory of God. Compare this with Jonathan and I walking through Mile End Park on Thursday evening. And I don't know whether you walk through Mile End Park on, a, on an evening, about, sort of between about 5 o'clock and 8 o'clock, you'll see gathered around the tables crowds of, of Bengali men playing cards, and both of us were slightly envious of their riches in relationship and their appropriate and rich use of time. We were rushing somewhere, as inevitably many of us are. And yet, God has given us eternity. Well, Hakuna Matata might come from the Lion King, but I have a sneaky belief it is rooted in the unspoiled Garden of Eden, in an otherworldly, perhaps even a kingdom of God attitude to the stuff of this world. It means no worries for the rest of your life, for those of you not familiar with this rather old child's film. Jesus will go on in the rest of Luke 12 to address anxiety after the rude interruption from the man who wanted him to sort out his earthly problems.